Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. Last time we left Milo and the crew, uh, Milo was running up a flight of stairs to go to infinity. They had made it to Digitopolis, and they found out the numbers weren't created. They were more mined. Um, and so Milo started asking for the biggest number and the widest, the biggest number and the longest number and all that. And um, the math magician, for what it's worth, took his words very literal. Nigga's pedantic, I guess. Uh, I said nigga. My bad. It's still a clean episode, though. Don't trip. I got y'all. <laughs> um, but he's pedantic, I guess. And when he was like, what's the biggest number you ever seen? He was like, loophole. And so he... Brought out a big old three. Yeah. Okay. Also, for some reason, they eat uh, subtraction stew, which when you eat it, it makes you hungrier than when you started. And they said that you're only supposed to eat it when you're full. But how do you get full if the only thing that they got to serve is subtraction stew? Also, if the people who are eating it are brand new to your city... I'm guessing they haven't learned the rules yet. So when they dive into like 17 bowls, you should probably stop after like the fourth one and be like, yo, y'all know that this is just going to make you hungrier, right? Because now Milo, Tock, and uh, the Humbug haven't eaten since they were in uh, Dictionopolis. That is what the, digi- the dictionary tab is called. Right? Like, um, yeah, Dictionopolis. So, yeah. They starving to death because now they've eaten like 24 bowls of minus stew and now they have famine. But anyways, Milo forgot all that or I'm sure he didn't really forget it. But he's now running up the stairs to go towards a um, infinity. And that's where we are. 916-633-1537. Uh, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcast at. Um, if you want to leave a review for a specific episode, uh, you can go to Podchaser and um, let us know what you liked about an episode. So even if it's a previous episode, we'll catch and we'll be able to talk about it. Um, Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, and... Ratchet Book Club is our Twitter name. With no further ado, uh, here's chapter 16, A Very Dirty Bird. And just so y'all know, they're they're not talking about A, Jamal Anderson, or B, Pastors. I probably shouldn't have said that second one. It, it was funny, though. But, you know, there's people who were like, oh, I, I'm... It's still clean, though. All right, let's go. Up he went, very quickly at first, then more slowly, then in a little while, even more slowly than that. And finally, after many minutes of climbing up the endless stairway, one weary foot was barely able to follow the other. Milo suddenly realized that with all his effort, he was no closer to the top than when he began, and not a great deal further from the bottom. But he struggled on for a while longer, until at last, completely exhausted, he collapsed onto one of the steps. I should have known it, he mumbled, resting his tired legs and filling his lungs with air. This is just like the line that goes on forever, and I'll never get there. You wouldn't like it much anyway, someone gently replied. 
Infinity is a dreadfully poor place. They can never manage to make ends meet. Milo looked up, with his head still resting heavily in his hand. He was becoming quite accustomed to being addressed at the oddest times, in the oddest places, by the oddest people. And this time he was not at all disappointed. Standing next to him on the step was exactly one half of a small child who had been divided neatly from top to bottom. Pardon me for staring, said Milo, after he had been staring for some time, but I've never seen half a child before. It's .58, to be precise, replied the child from the left side of his mouth, which happened to be the only side of his mouth. I beg your pardon, said Milo. It's .58, he repeated. It's a little bit more than a half. Have you always been that way? asked Milo impatiently, for he felt that that was a needlessly fine distinction. My goodness, no, the child assured him. A few years ago, I was just point four two, and believe me, that was terribly inconvenient. What is the rest of your family like, said Milo, this time a bit more sympathetically. Oh, we're just the average family, he said thoughtfully. Mother, father, and 2.58 children. And, as I explained, I'm the point five eight. It must be rather odd being only a part of a person, Milo remarked. Not at all, said the child. Every average family has 2.58 children, so I always have someone to play with. Besides, each family also has an average of 1.3 automobiles. And since I'm the only one who can drive three-tenths of a car, I get to use it all the time. But averages aren't real, objected Milo. They're just imaginary. That may be so, he agreed, but they're also very useful at times. For instance, if you didn't have any money at all, but you happened to be with four other people who had $10 apiece, then you'd each have an average of $8. Isn't that right? I guess so, said Milo weakly. And this is just me jumping in. That's wrong. Because if you're with me and I have $20, then I have $20. Okay, I just want to make sure that that's clear between all of us. Like, I have a math problem that I give to kids that makes no sense, so then they know that it's hopeless to ask me for money or anything. And the math problem goes like this. If I have three apples, and you give me three apples, and he gives me three apples, and I have nine apples, and I give away apples, how many apples do I have left? And the answer is clearly nine because I'm not giving away my apples just because you gave me an apple. That's, that's your fault. Anyway, back to it. Well, think of how much better off you'd be just because of averages, he explained convincingly. And think of a poor farmer when it doesn't rain all year. If there wasn't an average yearly rainfall of 37 inches in this part of the country, all his crops will wither and die. It all sounded terribly confusing to Milo, for he had always had trouble in school with just this subject. There are still other advantages, continued the child. For instance, if one rat were cornered by nine cats, then, on the average, each cat would be 10% rat, and the rat would be 90% cat. If you happen to be a rat, you can see how much nicer it would make things. But that can never be, said Milo, jumping to his feet. 
Don't be too sure, said the child patiently. For one of the nicest things about mathematics, or anything else you might care to learn, is that many of the things which can never be, often are. You see, he went on, it's very much like you trying to reach infinity. You know that it's there. But you just don't know where. But just because you can never reach it doesn't mean it's not worth looking for. I hadn't thought of it that way, said Milo, starting down the stairs. I think I'll go back down now. A wise decision, the child agreed, but try again someday. Perhaps you'll get much closer. And as Milo waved goodbye, he smiled warmly, which he usually did on the average of 47 times a day. Everyone here knows so much more than I do, thought Milo as he leapt from step to step. I'll have to do a lot better if I'm going to rescue the princesses. In a few moments, he reached the bottom again and burst into the workshop, where Tock and the humbug were eagerly watching the math magician perform. Ah, back already, he cried, greeting him with a friendly wave. I hope you found what you were looking for. I'm afraid not, admitted Milo. And then he added in a very discouraged tone. Everything in Digitopolis is much too difficult for me. The math magician nodded knowingly and stroked his chin several times. You'll find, he remarked gently, that the only thing you can do easily is be wrong, and that's hardly worth the effort. Milo tried very hard to understand all the things he'd been told and all the things he'd seen, and, as he spoke, one curious thing still bothered him. Why is it, he said quietly, that quite often even the things which are correct just don't seem to be right? A look of deep melancholy crossed the mathematician's face, and his eyes grew moist with sadness. Everything was silent, and it was several minutes before he was able to reply at all. How very true, he sobbed, supporting himself on the staff. It has been that way since rhyme and reason were banished. Quite so, began the humbug. I personally feel that. And all because of that stubborn wretch's ass roared the mathematician, completely overwhelming the bug, for now his sadness had changed to fury, and he stalked about the room, adding up fury and multiplying wrath. It's all his fault! Perhaps if he discussed it with them, Milo started to say, but never had time to finish. He's much too unreasonable, interrupted the mathematician again. Why, just last month I sent him a very friendly letter, which he never had the courtesy to answer. See for yourself. He handed Milo a copy of the letter, which read, 4738 57,131, 481,206, 5,864, 98,053, 62,179,875,073. But maybe he doesn't understand numbers, said Milo, who found it a little difficult to read himself. I found that difficult to read myself. I wonder if there's something on Google now that'll translate that. I'm going to go look. Hold on. Wow. Literally nobody knows.
I mean, yeah, it could just be gibberish numbers, but you would think that because it was math, it would mean something, right? But nope, just nothing. Nonsense, bellowed the math magician. Everyone understands numbers. No matter what language you speak, they always mean the same thing. A seven is a seven anywhere in the world. My goodness, thought Milo. Everybody is so terribly sensitive about the things they know best. With your permission, said Tuck, changing the subject, we'd like to rescue rhyme and reason. Has Azaz agreed to it? The mathematician inquired. Yes, sir, the dog assured him. Then I don't, he thundered again, for since they've been banished, we've never agreed on anything, and we never will. He emphasized his last remark with a dark and ominous look. Never? asked Milo, with the slightest touch of disbelief in his voice. Never, he repeated, and if you can prove otherwise, you, you have my permission to go. Well, said Milo, who had thought about this problem very carefully ever since leaving Dictionopolis. Well, said Milo, who had thought about this problem very carefully ever since leaving Dictionopolis. Then with whatever Azaz agrees, you disagree. Correct, said the mathematician with a tolerant smile. And with whatever Azaz disagrees, you agree. Also correct, yawned the mathematician, nonchalantly cleaning his fingernails with the point of his staff. Hmm. Then each of you agrees that he will disagree with whatever each of you agrees with, said Milo triumphantly. And if you both disagree with the same thing, then aren't you really in agreement? I've been tricked, cried the mathematician helplessly, for no matter how he figured, it still came out the same way. Splendid effort, commented the humbug jovially. Exactly the way I would have done it. And now may we go, added Tuck. The mathematician accepted his defeat with grace, nodded weakly, and then drew the three travelers to his side. It's a long and dangerous journey, he began softly, and a furrow of concern creased his forehead. Long before you find them, the demons will know you're there. Watch for them well, he emphasized, for when they appear, it might be too late. The humbug shuddered down to his shoes, and Milo felt the tips of his fingers suddenly grow cold. But there's one problem even more serious than that, he whispered ominously. What is it? gasped Milo, who was not sure he really even wanted to know. I'm afraid I can only tell you when you return. Come along, said the mathematician, and I'll show you the way. And, simply by carrying the three, he transported them all to the very edge of Digitopolis. Behind them lay all the kingdoms of wisdom, and up ahead a narrow rutted path led towards the mountains in darkness. We'll never get the car up that, said Milo unhappily. True enough, replied the mathematician, but you can be in ignorance quick enough without riding all the way, and if you're to be successful, it'll have to be step by step. But I would like to take my gifts, Milo insisted. So you shall, announced the dodecahedron, who appeared from nowhere with his arms full. Here are your sights, here are your sounds, and... Here, he said, handing Milo to last of them disdainfully, are your words. 
And most important of all, added the math magician, here's your own magic staff. Use it well and there's nothing it cannot do for you. He placed in Milo's breast pocket a small gleaming pencil, which, except for the size, was much like his own. Then, with the last word of encouragement, he and the dodecahedron, who was simultaneously sobbing, frowning, pining, and sighing from four of his saddest faces, made their farewells and watched as the three tiny figures disappeared into the forbidding mountains of ignorance. Almost immediately, the light began to fade as the difficult path wandered aimlessly upward, inching forward almost as reluctantly as a trembling humbug. Tock, as usual, led the way, sniffing ahead for danger, and Milo, his bag of precious possessions slung over one shoulder, followed silently and resolutely behind. Perhaps someone should stay back to guard the way, said the unhappy bug, offering his services. But since his suggestion was met with silence, he followed glumly along. The higher they went, the darker it became, though it wasn't the darkness of night, but rather more like a mixture of lurking shadows and evil intentions which oozed from the slimy moss-covered cliffs and blotted out the light. A cruel wind shrieked through the rocks and the air was thick and heavy, as if it had been used several times before. On they went, higher and higher up the dizzying trail, on one side the sheer stone walls and brutal peaks towering above them, and on the other an endless, limitless, bottomless nothing. I can hardly see a thing taking hold of Tock's tail as a sticky mist engulfed the moon. Perhaps we should wait until morning. There'll be morning for you soon enough, came a reply from directly above. And this was followed by a hideous, cackling laugh, very much like someone choking on a fishbone. Clinging to one of the greasy rocks and blending almost perfectly with it was a large, unkempt, and exceedingly soiled bird who looked more like a dirty floor mop than anything else. He had a sharp, dangerous beak, and the one eye he chose to open stared down maliciously. I don't think you understand, said Milo timidly as the watchdog growled a warning. We're looking for a place to spend the night. It's not yours to spend, the bird shrieked again and followed it with the same horrible laugh. That doesn't make any sense, you see, he started to explain. Dollars or cents, it's still not yours to spend, the bird replied haughtily. But I didn't mean insisted Milo. Of course you're mean, interrupted the bird, closing the eye that had been open and opening the one that had been closed. Anyone who's spent a night that doesn't belong to him is very mean. Well, I thought that by, he tried again desperately. That's a different story, interjected the bird a bit more amiably. If you want to buy, I'm sure I can arrange a cell, but with what you're doing, you'll probably end up in a cell anyway. That doesn't seem right, said Milo helplessly, for, with the bird taking everything the wrong way, he hardly knew what he was saying. Agreed, said the bird, with a sharp click of his beak, but neither is it left, although if I were you, I would have left a long time ago. Let me try once more, Milo said in an effort to explain. In other words, you mean you have other words? cried the bird happily. Well, by all means, use them. You're certainly not doing very well with the ones you have right now. Must you always interrupt like that, said Tock irritably, for even he was becoming impatient. 
Naturally, the bird cackled. It's my job. I take the words right out of your mouth. Haven't we met before? I'm the ever-present word snatcher, and I'm sure I know your friend the bug. And then he leaned all the way forward and gave a terrible knowing smile. The humbug, who was too big to hide and too frightened to move, denied everything. Is everyone who lives in ignorance like you? asked Milo. Much worse, he said longingly. But I don't live here. I'm from a place very far away called Context. Don't you think you should be getting back? suggested the bug, holding one arm up in front of him. What a horrible thought, the bird shuddered. It's such an unpleasant place that I spend almost all of my time out of it. Besides, what could be nicer than these grimy mountains? Almost anything, thought Milo as he pulled his collar up. And then he asked the bird, Are you a demon? I'm afraid not, he replied sadly as several filthy tears rolled down his beak. I've tried, but the best I can manage to be is a nuisance. And before Milo could reply, he flapped his dingy wings and flew off in a cascade of dust and dirt and fuzz. Wait, shouted Milo, who had thought of many more questions he wanted to ask. Thirty-four pounds, shrieked the bird as he disappeared into the fog. He was certainly no help, said Milo, after they had been walking again for some time. And that's why I drove him off, cried the humbug, fiercely brandishing his cane. Now, let's find the demons. That might be sooner than you think, remarked Tock, looking back at the suddenly trembling bug. And the trail turned again and continued to climb. In a few minutes, they had reached the crest, only to find that beyond it lay another one even longer. And beyond that, several more, whose tops were lost in the swirling darkness. For a short stretch, the path became broad and flat. And just ahead, leaning comfortably against a dead tree, stood a very elegant-looking gentleman. He was beautifully dressed in a dark suit with a well-pressed shirt and tie. His shoes were polished, his nails were clean, his hat was well-brushed, and a white handkerchief adorned his breast pocket. But his expression was somewhat blank. In fact, it was completely blank, for he had neither eyes, nose, nor mouth. Hello, little boy he said, amably shaking Milo by the hand. And how's the faithful dog, he inquired, giving Tok two or three strong and friendly pats. And who's this handsome creature, he asked, tipping his hat to the very pleased humbug. I'm so happy to see you all. What a pleasant surprise to meet somebody so nice, they all thought. And especially here. I wonder if you could spare me a little of your time, he inquired politely and help with a few small jobs. Why, of course, said the humbug cheerfully. Gladly, added Tock. Yes, indeed, said Milo, who wondered for just a moment how it was possible for somebody so agreeable to have a face with no features at all. Splendid, he said happily, for there are just three tasks. Firstly, I would like to move this pile from here to there. He explained, pointing to an enormous mound of fine sand. But I'm afraid that all I have are these tiny tweezers. And he gave them to Milo, who immediately began transporting one grain at a time. Secondly, I'd like to empty this well and fill the other. 
but I have no bucket. So he had to use his eyedropper. And he handed it to Tak, who undertook at once to carry one drop at a time from well to well. And lastly, I must dig a hole through this cliff. And here's a needle to dig it. The eager humbug quickly set to work picking at the solid granite wall. When they had all been safely started, the very pleasant man returned to the tree and, leaning against it once more, continued to stare vacantly down the trail, while Milo, Tuck, and the humbug worked hour after 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 hour. Chapter 17 unwelcoming committee. The humbug whistled gaily at his work, for he was never as happy as when he had a job which required no thinking at all. After what seemed like days, he had dug a hole scarcely enough for his thumb. Tot shuffled steadily back and forth with the dropper in his teeth, but the full well was almost as full as when he began, and Milo's new pile of sand was hardly a pile at all. How very strange, said Milo, without stopping for a moment. I've been working steadily all this time, and I don't feel the slightest bit tired or hungry. I could go right on the same way forever. Perhaps you will, the man agreed with a yawn, or at least it sounded like a yawn. Well, I wish I knew how long it was going to take, Milo whispered as the dog went by again. Why not use your magic staff and find out, replied Tuck as clearly as anyone could with an eyedropper in his mouth. Milo took the shiny pencil from his pocket and quickly calculated that, at the rate they were working, it would take each of them 837 years to finish. Pardon me, he said, tugging at the man's sleeve and holding the sheet of figures up for him to see, but it's going to take 837 years to do these jobs. Is that so? said the man, without even turning around. Well, then you better get on with it then. But it hardly seems worthwhile, said Milo softly. Worthwhile, the man roared indignantly. All I meant was that perhaps it isn't too important, Milo repeated, trying not to be impolite. Well, of course it's not important, he snarled angrily. I wouldn't have asked you to do it if I thought it was important. And now, as he turned to face them, he didn't seem quite so pleasant. Then why bother? asked Tak, whose alarm suddenly began to ring. Because, my young friend, he muttered sourly, what could be more important than doing unimportant things? If you stop to do enough of them, you'll never get to where you're going. He punctuated his last remark with a villainous laugh. Then you must gasped Milo. Quite correct, he shrieked triumphantly. I am the terrible trivium, demon of petty tasks and worthless jobs, ogre of wasted effort, and monster of habit. The humbug dropped his needle and stared in disbelief while Milo and Top began to back away slowly. Don't try and leave, he ordered with a menacing sweep of his arm, for there's so very much to do, and you still have over 800 years to go on the first job. But why only do unimportant things, asked Milo, who suddenly remembered how much time he spent each day doing them. Think of all the trouble it saves, the man explained, and his face looked as if he'd be grinning an evil grin, if he could grin at all. 
If you only do the easy and useless jobs, you'll never have to worry about the important ones which are so difficult. You just won't have the time. For there's always something to do to keep you from doing what you should really be doing. And if it weren't for that dreadful magic staff, you'd never know how much time you were wasting. As he spoke, he tiptoed slowly towards him with his arms outstretched and continued to whisper in a soft, deceitful voice. Now do come and stay with me. We'll have so much fun together. There are things to fill and things to empty. Things to take away and things to bring back. Things to pick up and things to put down. And, and besides all that, we have pencils to sharpen, holes to dig, nails to straighten, stamps to lick, and ever so much more. Why, if you stay here, you'll never have to think again. And with a little practice, you could become a monster of habit too. They were all transfixed by the Trivium's soothing voice. But just as he was about to clutch them in his well-manicured fingers, a voice ran out, Run! Run! Milo, who thought it was Tak, turned suddenly and dashed up the trail. Run! Run! It shouted again, and this time Tak thought it was Milo and quickly followed them. Run! Run! It urged once more, and now the humbug, not caring who said it, ran desperately behind his two friends, with the terrible trivium close behind. This way! This way! The voice called again. They turned in this direction and scrambled up the most difficult slippery rocks, sliding back at each step almost as far as they had gone forward. With the great effort of many helping paws from Tak, they reached the top of the ridge at last, but only two steps ahead of the furious trivium. Over here, over here, advised the voice, and without a moment's hesitation, they started through a puddle of sticky ooze, which quickly became ankle deep, then knee deep, then hip deep, until finally they were struggling along in what felt like a waist deep pool of peanut butter. The Trivium, who had discovered a mound of pebbles which needed counting, followed no more but stood at the edge shaking his fists, shouting horrible threats, and promising to rouse every demon in the mountains. What a nasty fellow, gasped Milo, who was having great difficulty just getting his legs to move. I hope I never meet him again. I believe he stopped chasing us, said the bug, looking back over his shoulder. That's not what worries me, remarked Tok as they stepped from the sticky mess. But what's ahead? Keep going straight, keep going straight, counseled the voice as they continued to pick their way carefully along the new path. Now step up, now step up, it recommended, and almost before they knew what happened, they had all taken a step up and then plunged to the bottom of a deep, murky pit. But he said up, Milo complained bitterly from where he lay sprawling. Well, I hope you didn't expect to get anywhere by listening to me, said the voice gleefully. We'll never get out of here, the humbug moaned, looking at the steep, smooth sides of the pit. That is quite an accurate evaluation of the situation, said the voice coldly. Then why did you help us at all, shouted Milo angrily. Oh, I'd do as much for anybody, he replied. Bad advice is my specialty. For as you can plainly see, I'm the long-nosed, green-eyed, curly-haired, wide-mouthed, thick-necked, broad-shouldered, round-bodied, short-armed, bow-legged, bigfoot monster, and if I do say so myself, one of the most frightening fiends in this whole wide wilderness. With me here, you wouldn't dare try to escape. And with that, he shuffled to the edge of the pit and peered down at his helpless prisoners. 
Tuck and the humbug turned away in fright. But Milo, who had learned by now that people are not always what they say they are, reached for his telescope and took a long look for himself. And there, at the rim of the hole, instead of what he expected, stood a small furry creature with very worried eyes and a rather sheepish grin. You're not long-nosed, green-eyed, curly-haired, wide-mouthed, thick-necked, broad-shouldered, round-bodied, short-armed, bow-legged, or big-footed, and you're not at all frightened, said Milo indignantly. What kind of demon are you? The little creature, who seemed stunned at being found out, leapt back out of sight and began to whimper softly. I'm the demon of insincerity, he sobbed. I don't mean what I say. I don't mean what I do, and I don't mean what I am. Most people who believe what I tell them go the wrong way and stay there. But you and your awful telescope have spoiled everything. I'm going home. And, crying hysterically, he stomped off in a huff. It certainly pays to have a good look at things, observed Milo as he wrapped up the telescope with great care. Now all we have to do is climb out, said Tak, placing his front paws as high on the wall as he could. Here, hop up on my back. Milo climbed onto the dog's shoulders. Then the bug crawled up both of them and, by standing on Milo's head, just managed to hook his cane on the root of an old gnarled tree. With loud complaints, he hung on doggedly until the two others had climbed out over him and pulled him up, somewhat dazed and discouraged. I'll lead the way for a while, he said, brushing himself off. Follow me and we'll stay out of trouble. He guided them along one of five narrow ledges, all of which led to a grooved and rutted plateau. They stopped for a moment to rest and make plans, but before they had done either, the whole mountain trembled violently and, with a sudden lurch, rose high in the air, carrying them along with it. For, quite accidentally, they had stepped into the callous hand of the gelatinous giant. And what have we here, he roared, looking curiously at the tiny figures huddled in his palm and licking his lips. He was an incredible size, even sitting down, with long, unkempt hair, bulging eyes, and a shape hardly worth speaking of. He looked, in fact, very much like a colossal bowl of jelly, without the bowl. How dare you disturb my nap, he bellowed furiously, and the force of his hot breath tumbled them over in his hand. We're terribly sorry, said Milo meekly, when he untangled himself. But you look just like part of the mountain. Naturally, the giant replied in a more normal voice, but even this was like an explosion. I have no shape of my own, so I try to be just like whatever I'm near. In the mountains, I'm a lofty peak. On the beach, a broad sandbar. In the forest, a towering oak. And sometimes in the city, I'm a very handsome 12-story apartment house. I just hate to be conspicuous. It's really not safe, you know. Then he looked at them again with hungry eyes and wondered how well they'd taste. You look much too big to be afraid of anything, said Milo quickly, for the giant had already begun to open his mouth wide. I'm not he said with a slight shiver that ran all over his gelatinous body. I'm afraid of everything. That's why I'm so ferocious. If the others found out, I'd just die. Now do be quiet while I eat my breakfast. He raised his hand towards his gaping mouth and the humbug shut his eyes tightly and clasped both hands over his head. 
Then aren't you really a fearful demon? Milo asked desperately, on the assumption that the giant had been brought up well enough to not talk with a mouthful. Well, approximately, yes, he replied, lowering his arm to the vast relief of the bug. That is, comparatively, no. What I mean is, relatively, maybe. In other words, roughly, perhaps. What does everybody else think? There, you see, he said peevishly, I'm even afraid to make a positive statement. So please stop asking questions before I lose my appetite altogether. Then he raised his arm again and prepared to swallow the three of them with one gulp. Why don't you help us rescue Rhyme and Reason? Then maybe things will get better, shouted Milo again. This time almost too late, for in another instant they would have all been gone. Oh, I wouldn't do that said the giant thoughtfully, lowering his arm once again. I mean, why not leave well enough alone? That is, it'll never work. I wouldn't take a chance. In other words, let's keep things as they are. Changes are so frightening. As he spoke, he began to look a bit ill. Maybe I'll just eat one of you, he remarked unhappily, and save the rest for later. I don't feel very well. I have a better idea, said Milo. You do? interrupted the giant, losing any desire to eat at all. If it's one thing I can't swallow, it's ideas. They're so hard to digest. I have a box full of all the ideas in the world, said Milo, proudly holding up the gift King Azaz had given to him. The thought of it terrified the giant, who began to shake like an enormous pudding. Put me down and just go away, he pleaded, forgetting for a moment who had hold of whom. And please don't open that box. In another moment, he had set them down on the next jagged peak, and, with panic in his eyes, lumbered off to warn the others of this terrible new threat. But news travels quickly. The word snatcher, the trivium, and the long-nosed, green-eyed, curly-haired, wide-mouthed, thick-necked, broad-shouldered, round-bodied, short-armed, bow-legged, big-footed monster had already spread the alarm throughout the evil, unenlightened mountains. And out the demons came, from every cave and crevice, through every fissure and crack, from under the rocks and up through the mud, stomping and shuffling, slithering and sliding through the murky shadows. And all had only one thought in mind, destroy the intruders and protect ignorance. From where they stood, Milo, Tok, and the humbug could see them moving steadily forward, still far away but coming quickly. On all sides, the cliffs were alive with this evil collection of crawling, looming, creeping, lurching shapes. Some could be seen plainly. Others were but dim silhouettes. And yet still more, only now beginning to stir from their foul places, will be along much sooner than they were wanted. We'd better hurry, barked Tok, or they're sure to catch us. And he started up the trail again. Milo took one deep breath and did the same. And the bug, now that he knew what lay behind ran ahead with renewed enthusiasm. So before I end this episode, I want to thank Jolene from the It Goes Down in the PM uh, podcast. 
um, which is available wherever y'all listen to podcasts at, uh, for leaving us a review or leaving me a review. I got to stop saying us. I always say us like there's somebody else here with me. I'm putting in this work. I'm doing this. But um, for leaving me a review uh, at podchaser.com which is another avenue uh to leave reviews and it's very important that i tell you about that place because you can also leave reviews there for episodes so not just for the show overall but if something really strikes you on an episode you can tell me about that and that way i'll know even further what works and what doesn't work um but jolene said uh five stars I love this podcast. It's funny, relatable, and easy to listen to. Um, and best of all, it's all about books. I'm listening and reading along as we speak. Keep up the great work with the awesome content. Um, and I want to thank you for that. I also want to urge each of y'all to, you know, y'all can also read along. Um, you can read ahead. And then uh, let me know what your thoughts are on the books uh, as we get to certain chapters or certain places that struck you. Um, again, the voicemail number is 916-633-1537. Um, the email address is wretchedandratchet at gmail.com. The Twitter address is Ratchet Book Club. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I think. Voicemail, email, Twitter. Yep, that's about it. Thank you all again for listening. We are literally, we have two chapters left so yeah well you know three chapters honestly next chapter chapter 18 we got 20 chapters but i don't really count the last chapter because the last chapter is um like four pages long so yeah, chapter 19 will be the longest one out of that group. So we'll probably finish them all up in the next episode and then we'll move back to ratchet stuff. Thanks for listening, kids, but uh, your ride ends for a little while. But again, thank y'all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Y'all have a wonderful day. Peace. I greatly appreciate it. Not we. I. Although my wife. Yeah, so I guess we. We'll stick with we. Yeah, we, we, we. All right, y'all. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,